last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our two-bedroom apartment in downtown Baltimore, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you on an off day for the Baltimore Orioles. They come back home to begin their second homestand of the season tomorrow on a Thursday in which it may be an off day for the Orioles, but it is not an off day for Rockabaco. Adds to his streak of 4,648 straight days. It is literally never an off day. Never an off day for Rockabaco. I'd like to pat myself on the back for that that piece, the the streak. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Brendan making his TV debut. Yeah. You voiced the part of the Bob Costas type. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, just... Could we be more on brand for the Syracuse Newhouse trying to be Bob Costas broadcast? There you go. Right yeah. There. But, uh, you, you know, because in the actual, it's based off the Moneyball scene, of course, the streak, where they went 20 straight. And in that, Bob Costas voices this part where he's like, you know, you have to be good. You know it by but, heart. You don't have to pretend yeah, know, like you don't. But, you uh, you know, it takes a certain amount of luck to win 20 straight. And you you did a, a, a nice rendition. I tried. You did a, a, tried a solid best, job yeah. there as well. Uh, August 1st, 2008 is when Rock began his streak. That's insane. His writing streak from SNSports.com. Yeah. What were you doing on August 1st, 2008? I literally have no idea. Sitting in I school? don't remember what grade I was oh, in. Well, August, so no. But well, no, yeah. <laughs> at summer camp, Maybe. I would assume. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Probably for me, too. Utterly insane. Yeah. He uh, said he's negotiating with his fiance whether or not he will file on his wedding day. I feel like the only <laughs> way you can do that is if you get up ridiculously I mean, it, early, which he does a lot of days. Right. And file before any of the festivities begin that I day. I mean, he has to. Because you can't file afterwards. You can't right. file at any point <laughs> over the course of the day. Well, you say that, but, you know, if, the, if there's breaking Orioles news... I don't know During when he's getting married, but oh, you know that he's pulling out his phone. Yeah, absolutely. He's sending out. He's he will at least be tweeting on his wedding day. We know this. Yes. Um, Look, if there's breaking Orioles news, he'll be I don't think anything it. is it stopping Rock Tobacco. It doesn't even have to be breaking Orioles news. It could be something along the lines of, you know, the Orioles select the contract of a, <laughs> a minor leaguer. Yeah, yeah. He'd still break that news. Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right. We're going to get into some baseball talk. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the surprising success of some Orioles starting pitchers and how some of the pitchers in the rotation are finding success in different ways uh, and how pretty much everybody, all five members of that starting rotation, have at some point uh, over the course of the first three weeks of the season looked very good and had some very promising starts. We're going to talk about Freddie Galvis and his recent hot streak. Trey Mancini turning things around a little bit, but first we got to start with uh, some of the bad news on the Orioles' side, which occurred uh, on their road trip in Miami. The first game, Anthony Santander going down with an injury, a sprained ankle in the first game of that series, and I think it was the first inning, too. 
Yeah. Uh, he's going to be out two to four weeks with a sprained ankle. And honestly, the fact that it is just a sprain and it is two to four weeks, somewhat of a win considering how bad that injury looked initially. He had to be helped off the field. He was down on the ground for a while, pounding his fist on the ground. Looked like he was in a lot of pain. I think a lot of minds went to the worst possible scenario, but two to four weeks with a sprain, not awful considering what we saw. Yeah, Brandon Hyde says he was relieved when they got the results pack about Anthony Santander. It was a weird injury. It was a pickoff attempt, and he was sliding back into first base. He will probably be diving headfirst back into first base yeah. from now on, you would imagine. Uh, it's a weird play because I, I feel like I don't really see guys sliding feet first back into first yeah. many times. It's a play that doesn't happen too often, pickoff attempts. So maybe it was just something that he didn't really practice too awful much. I don't obviously want to speculate on anything, but I think from now on, he's probably going to be diving headfirst back into first base. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the timing of the injury happened it just hours after Austin Hayes was yeah. activated from the injured list. So it helps that Austin Hayes was back just in time for this injury, uh, but it is, of course, unfortunate timing for any injury. Um, and just as the conversations pregame were starting to get into, how are the Orioles going to fit all these guys in the outfield? They have Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, DJ Stewart, uh, Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, all can play in the outfield. How are they going to find enough time for these guys? And then their most consistent offensive, at least, outfielder goes down with an injury that first inning of that game. Well, most consistent offensive outfielder over the last year and a half span. Yeah. He has not been very good to start the season so far. No. He was hitting just 196 and had a 551 OPS, which is not very good. But you mentioned it, Paul. We talked about it going into the season. We were doing all of these breakdowns about what the Orioles outfield might look like. And at some point, I think one of us said, well, these things just usually have a way of sorting themselves out. And that's pretty much exactly what's happened. Yeah. You have the injury to Austin Hayes at the beginning of the year. And then obviously now you have the beginning uh, the injury, excuse me, to Anthony Santander. You would have to imagine that Austin Hayes probably becomes your everyday right fielder with DJ Stewart playing there occasionally because you can't move Cedric Mullins out of center field. And left field is probably going to be designated for Ryan Mountcastle occasionally and DJ Stewart. Yeah, yeah, it does loosen the logjam. It's not how you want right. it to happen, obviously. You don't right. want injuries to... Uh, to be the thing that loosens a logjam, but uh, it does open up, uh, at least make Brandon Hyde's job at least a little bit easier in determining who's going to start. Yeah, I mean, they gave Cedric Mullins a day off in that second game of the weird two-game series in Miami, but I expect he's going to be your everyday right. center fielder. Uh, it helps that Austin Hayes can play center field. Uh, now you you brought back Ryan McKenna, who probably had not even gotten on the plane... <laughs> By the time yeah. he was asked to get called back up because he had just been uh, sent to the alternate site. Right. And Anthony Santander goes down with that injury. Um, so you have DJ Stewart, who has looked better in left. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. He, he you know still is not going to be an above average left fielder. But well, And he certainly looks better than Ryan Mountcastle. Yes. Which is not. Although Mountcastle made a nice play the other day. He did. He cut off a ball going to the wall and uh, fired it into second. Yep. Threw out Brinson trying to. Like yeah. a double. Yeah. Which is which goes back to what we said last week, which is that he has the athleticism to right. play yes. left field. Um so you have DJ Stewart who can be your everyday left fielder in theory, Cedric Mullins and Sandra and Austin Hayes uh in right field. 
Mountcastle, you know, they were, of course, playing at a National League park, so they didn't have the option of a DH. They will for the foreseeable future. So Ryan Mountcastle can be your DH, and then Ryan McKenna can be your, uh, you know, fourth, fifth outfielder, defensive replacement, pinch runner, that kind of thing. Yeah, and it'll be nice to see if McKenna shows anything more of promise and shows a reason that he should stay at the major league level. I think once Santander is back, McKenna is probably the obvious choice to get sent back down. But if he continues this trend of, you know, he, he's good defensively, he's good on the base paths, if he can show a little bit more with the bat, he might have more of a justification to stay at the major league level for a while. Yeah, and then on a bigger scale also... With Anthony Santander, he's been shut down each of the last two Septembers with injury. He's never played more than 93 games in a season in his big league career. He's still young. He's still 26. But injuries have certainly been a problem for him and for the entire Orioles outfield. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the trend. They have gotten bad luck injury-wise from their outfielders between Anthony Santander missing as much time as he has his first few years in the big leagues. Austin Hayes missing as much time as he has. We've gone over his injury history. Uh, and, you know, DJ Stewart has missed a fair amount of time, too, with injuries. Some bizarre injuries between concussions and uh, other injuries. But, you know, it just stinks for all three of these guys that they can't stay healthy for long enough to lock down a spot because they have each, in their own right, shown flashes. It's just consistency and staying healthy. And that's why we've seen this Orioles outfield, you know, rotating cast of characters over the past couple of years. Right, and they're all young and dealing yeah. with injuries, which is the frustrating part because yeah. you're looking for a season that says, okay, this guy is going to be an outfielder of the future, and if none of them can stay healthy, you don't have the track record that tells you that they can be an outfielder of the future. So you're pretty much just left to cross your fingers and hope that you can get a solid, healthy season out of one of these guys. Yeah. So far, luckily, Austin Hayes and Anthony Santander are not missing months at a time. Anthony right. Santander is probably going to be out a month, two to four weeks is the prognosis. And then Austin Hayes was not out very long. So hopefully... That's the only injuries of the season, and we can get a relatively full season, even though they're missing a few weeks here and there. All right, let's get into the starting rotation, shall we, Brandon? Yeah. Uh, I saw one comment that said uh, on our Facebook Live, if you're not watching live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, we do these live video-wise, so you can see our uh, awful faces while you hear us talk, as opposed to if you're just listening to this. Somebody said the rotation has been decent at best, and I will agree with you, Dan. And I'm surprised by that. I did yeah. not think this rotation was going to be decent. Well, decent at best, I'd say they'd be better than decent. Yeah, I mean they're they're uh, bottom third, barely bottom third. I think they're like twenty third in the league in in rotation ERA at this point. Yeah, but we have seen flashes from all five guys, and you know we on our last podcast got into Jorge Lopez and why we didn't think he could stick around, and then he turned around and had a great start uh, on the road trip. Well, look, my counter argument to that starter ERA, if that's what you're going to look at on the surface level. Brandon Hyde is not keeping in guys like Matt Harvey, Jorge Lopez, and Bruce Zimmerman a terribly long time. So if they go five innings and allow three runs, that ERA is not going to look fantastic. But five innings and three runs from your starting pitcher, at least I would argue, keeps you firmly in any game. Yeah. If your starter is going five innings and giving up just three runs, you are in that baseball game solidly. And the reason that the ERA is a little bit higher is because Brandon Hyde isn't pushing them into the sixth, seventh inning, everybody aside from John Means, of course. 
And when you're not pushing those guys, their ERA isn't going down unless they give up one or two runs over those five innings. So that's kind of my counter argument if you're going to look at just ERA. I think the starting rotation has been better than just that surface level ERA. Well, you mentioned going, you know, five or so innings. John Means, which we have to start with, has been consistently going at least five innings, which is absolutely huge for a rotation that uh, is not going to pride itself on length. I think we could say. So the fact that Means has been a stalwart at the top of that rotation, and he has been absolutely excellent. His most recent start, of course, did not get the win in Texas, but absolutely deserved it. Seven shutout innings was dominant, absolutely dominant. Uh, Coming off a start, too, which was his worst start of the four, which in which he gave up just three earned runs, he's been excellent. Yeah. He has been uh, terrific. It feels like he's putting all the pieces together, and we saw... It, in the first start at Fenway Park, and we thought, if we can get this John Means for 2021, this rotation looks so much better. And so far, through four starts, we have got that John Means. Yeah, he looks like one of the better pitchers in the American League. Yeah. I mean, his worst start of the season so far was against Seattle when he goes five innings pitched, three earned runs, five strikeouts. That's still a good start. Yeah. Like, you'll take that out of John Means. And like you said, against Texas, he goes seven innings, no earned runs, three hits, nine strikeouts. That's ace stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and again, you know, granted against a Rangers lineup that is not, not particularly very good. Yeah. tough, but I think that we, you know, the Red Sox lineup has proven to be pretty tough. He tamed them on opening day. Yep. Who knows what's going on with the Yankees, of course. Who but, knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he... I think that this will... He's not going to have an ERA under two like he has right now the entire season. Right. But he's passing the eye test, and he is looking like a legitimate number one. A stuff, like you said. He has two starts without allowing a run, and he has one start of one earned run. Yeah. And his other start, like I said, his worst start, he allows three in five innings. It's excellent. Yeah. It's absolutely excellent. Yeah. Um, And I don't even think that we expected... You know, no. the, even the, the most optimistic kind of expected. We that. both had in our season predictions, we said the lowest DRA would be Dean Kramer. Yeah. Who has struggled a little bit. And a little gonna, bit. But again, coming off his best start of the season. Yep. Let's get into the the two three in the rotation between Matt Harvey and Bruce Zimmerman. Two guys that are a little bit on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Harvey is the veteran they brought in on the minor league deal. Uh made the team out of spring training to not surprise, but a pleasant supply, a surprise. Then you've got Bruce Zimmerman, who is uh, trying to show that he can be a part of this rotation long term. And they are both experiencing success, but in very different ways. Harvey has an ERA up over 5, 512, but his underlying numbers show that it probably should be a little bit lower than that. Yep. Bruce Zimmerman has an ERA of 4.57, but it shows that he's getting a little bit lucky. And that ERA probably should be a little bit higher than it is. Yeah, they've both been consistently pretty good, which is, I think, kind of the trend for this Orioles rotation, especially when looking at Harvey and Zimmerman. Harvey has gone four and two-thirds twice. He's gone five innings pitched twice, and he hasn't allowed more than four earned runs in a start. And obviously, John Me- or excuse me, uh, Matt Harvey and Bruce Zimmerman are your number two and number three technically, but they're kind of the bottom of the rotation guys in terms of their stuff. You're not looking for much more than five innings, four earned runs, or three earned runs, whatever it is, out of Harvey and Zimmerman at this point. But Harvey's underlying numbers, he has an expected ERA of 379. 
So the yeah. defense has not been helping him out very much. His fielder independent pitching ERA, a three three eight. Yeah. So basically, you remove all the factors of the defense behind you, the ballpark, that kind of thing. Right. You strip that away, and he should have a much lower. He is. He, is, he should. And and that that jives with what we've seen with our eyes too. Yes. Because there have been some plays that are not necessarily errors, but plays that probably could have been made in the field behind him. Right. The only play he got lucky on was the Austin Hayes amazing catch in right field the other day right. uh, at Marlins Park. But that was also a few batters after Austin Hayes kind of botched a ball up against the wall that allowed the runner to get to third and that runner ended up scoring. So right. he has gotten a little bit unlucky in terms of the fielding behind him. And and remember, Matt Harvey was on the mound the Orioles home opener the day that Ryan Mountcastle had that nightmarish day in left field. Yes. And when you're looking at those advanced numbers, like the defense independent pitching and expected ERA and things like that, they obviously don't translate to things that are actually happening on the field. But what they do tell us is that in his next few starts, if the defense kind of returns to at least average or maybe somewhere close to what we're getting when the Orioles are starting Bruce Zimmerman. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if the defense is playing at least average against Matt Harvey, you would expect that 5-12 ERA that he currently has to go a little bit closer to his expected ERA, which is right around four. So hopefully yeah. over his next few starts, if the defense is able to pick him up a little bit more, we'll see his actual ERA get a little bit closer to his expected ERA. And there are other stats that are not as high level, too, that are telling us that Matt Harvey is having a pretty good season. Yes. He's really only allowed two extra base hits in the last two starts combined. And he just looks like a radically different pitcher than the one that we saw in Kansas City. And we hoped that that would be the case when he came into spring training this year and said, I've been working at this facility and I've been talking, you know, looking at my spin rate and looking at ways to improve my pitches from an analytical side. You hear that a lot from players. And then it, a lot of the times it just doesn't work out, whether they, you know, didn't truly invest as much time as they should have in analytics or uh, it just doesn't, they don't, don't have the stuff to be able to improve their pitching that much. Matt Harvey looks like a radically different pitcher from the one we saw in Kansas City. Last year, he you know, came out of the bullpen some, started some uh, in KC. This year, through four starts, already has more innings pitched, more strikeouts, fewer walks, and much fewer, many fewer homers than he did in 2019 with Kansas City. He's, and he's just a very different pitcher. Yeah, a few numbers I want to point out here, Paul. He's got 16 strikeouts so far and just three walks. Yeah. He's got his lowest walk percentage of his career. Yeah, 3.4. He's walking 3.4% of batters, which it would be lower than anything that he put up with the Mets. Yeah, he's got a second highest strikeout to walk ratio of his career dating back to his days with the Mets. Obviously, in those days, he was walking a few more people, but he was striking out a lot more people. And another big one, Paul, lowest home runs per nine innings since 2016. He's allowing uh, less than one home run per game. Last year with the Royals, he was averaging over four per game. Yeah, it, totally different guy. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks more like the Matt Harvey that we saw the second half of the 2018 season when he was in Cincinnati. Yes. And honestly, even maybe a little bit more to his final few years with the Mets before yeah. things started to go downhill for him. Well, and I think a thing for Harvey as well, he's using his fastball more we kind of talked about his diminished velocity and how he was going to use his other off-speed stuff uh, to complement that fastball that wasn't working as well. But the fastball is still decent enough, and I think 
maybe it was a mental thing for Harvey where he knew the velocity was down and felt less confident in that fastball. But over the last three years, he has used his fastball consistently more each season and it's still working because you yeah. need the fastball for the complementary pitches to work because they're complementary pitches. They have to work off of something. So the fastball has been a lot better this year, even though it's only sitting at 93, 94 miles an hour. He's able to use that effectively and then use his other pitches more effectively as well. Yeah. I would like to see strong defense behind Matt Harvey in one yes. of these starts and allow him to go deeper into games because that, yeah. like we mentioned, that defense is not just hurting his uh, you know, his ability to get out of innings, it, it's hurting his length in terms of these starts. He has right. not gone, I think the longest he's gone so far is five innings. Five innings. So yeah. for him to, and of course, I'm sure that the Orioles, like with all their starters, are ramping him a little bit, bit back up. They don't want to overuse him. They don't want him throwing 110 pitches considering he barely pitched last year. Right. Um, and yeah, we have, we have some comments on Facebook saying, uh, you know, the four and two thirds innings is not going to get it done. We won't touch too much on the Orioles' bullpen, but they have been uh, fantastic. Well, and four and two-thirds is is baseball in 2021. Right. Like, you're, I look around the league right now, you're not going to see many guys going more than seven innings in a start. Right. And part of that is due to the fact that, you know, bullpen arms are being used more than ever. Uh, part of that is due to the fact that teams have 26 guys in their roster as opposed to 25, so they have an extra reliever that they can use in games. Yep. And... Part of that is due to the fact that they barely played last year, 60 yeah. games. So uh, all these teams are being extra careful with their arms, waiting for guys to ramp back up. And maybe by July, John Means is throwing 100 pitches per start and Matt Harvey is getting deep into games. But for right now, it's totally understandable that teams are being extra careful. I think if if uh, he wanted to, Brandon Hyde could leave Matt Harvey in for longer than four and two-thirds Yeah, uh, and be comfortable with him still pitching well, but he doesn't want to overdo it for obvious reasons. He doesn't want to cause injury. Right. And like I said before, if you're going five innings and allowing three runs, you are firmly in that baseball game. And yeah. the Orioles bullpen has been lights out so far. You've got Cesar Valdez with an ERA under one. Paul Fry, Adam Plutko, Tanner Scott, Travis Lakins, Cole Sulcer have all been fantastic to start the season. Sean Armstrong's the only one that's... Uh, Sean Armstrong has not been really great to start the season. And I'm telling you... That, that spot's going to be up for grabs, I yes. think, at some point soon. But my point being, when you have starters like Matt Harvey and Bruce Zimmerman that are only going four and two-thirds, five innings, somewhere around there, yeah. it helps to have a bullpen that is really good. And yeah. as long as that bullpen shows that they are really good, I think Brandon Hyde is not going to push his starters longer than he needs to. Yeah, and he has the kind of two de facto starters, swingmen, that he can use for multiple innings Right. in Wade LeBlanc and Adam Plutko right. in, that, in that bullpen, which really helped as well. Yeah. Um, all right, we mentioned Bruce Zimmerman having uh, success, but in a different way. Yes. So Zimmerman's ERA is about a half run lower than Matt Harvey's, but some of his underlying numbers show that he probably is getting just a little bit lucky. Yeah, his expected ERA right now is at a 5.71, uh, and his fielding independent pitching ERA is right around a 5. So I think if the defense did not help Zimmerman as much as it has been, I would say his ERA is probably going to look a lot closer to Matt Harvey's uh, 5.12. But that's not to say that Bruce Zimmerman hasn't been consistently pretty good, which was the trend with Harvey as well. I mean, he is uh, his last start against the Marlins, he pretty much just gets hurt on one pitch. He makes a mistake to Jesus Aguilar, and that kind of blows up the game a little bit for him. Four and two-thirds innings, three earned runs, four strikeouts. 
Bruce Zimmerman is not going to be John Means. He's probably not going to be Dean Kramer, who can give you number two, number three stuff and strike out a bunch of guys. But what Bruce Zimmerman can do is go five innings and keep the game in a manageable spot. Yeah. And that's what we've seen so far from Zimmerman. The defense has been helping him as well, which we haven't seen for Harvey. So that's been keeping his ERA down a little bit. Yeah, and, and I think it is a a different bar of success with these guys. Um, I think Bruce Zimmerman, you are not expecting a ridiculous, you know, you're, you're, we're not, our expectations are not ridiculously high for Bruce Zimmerman. He's still not one of the organization's top prospects. He's right. not still not considered a top 30 prospect. Uh, you know, he's one of the more, he's been one of the more consistent minor league pitchers in the Orioles organization the past couple of years, but Neither of us expected him to come in in 2021 and lock down a rotation spot. Yeah. Neither of us had him in the in the starting rotation to start the season. Neither of us had him in the starting rotation to end the season. We right. really didn't expect him being able to stick with the rotation th- this long. And we'll see if it continues or if, you know, some of those advanced numbers catch up to him. But I've been pleasantly surprised with what I've seen from Bruce Zimmerman. And I'm sure if you're Brandon Hyde, you have to be very pleased with what you've gotten out of Bruce Zimmerman because he just hasn't lost you any games. Yeah. He's not going to be John Means who goes seven innings, nine strikeouts, and no earned runs and practically wins you the game. But Bruce Zimmerman is not going to lose it. He puts your offense in a chance to win the game, and it's a manageable, close game every time that Bruce Zimmerman is on the mound so far. Yeah. Uh, It is pleasantly surprising. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Should we talk about the next couple guys, the four or five in that rotation? Yes. Because we, uh, you know, Jorge Lopez has been much maligned on this podcast, <laughs> and uh, he heard our podcast and decided to make us look like fools Yeah. Uh, by going out and uh, having his best start of the season. Five innings, two earned runs, still not, you know, an excellent start, but solid considering... Uh, what we had seen before from that was a guy with an 11 ERA and somebody we did not think was going to be able to stick in this rotation. Right. I mean, we have talked about Jorge Lopez a lot on here, and he has not been uh, fantastic up until that start against the Rangers, where he pitched uh, really well. He goes five innings, two earned runs, yeah. eight strike. Excuse me, it was against the Yankees. Was it? No, no, it was no, against no, no. the Rangers. I was right, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it goes five innings, two earned runs, eight strikeouts. We talked about that with John Means where the uh, Rangers lineup is not fantastic, so it's probably not going to be uh, the exact barometer for what we should expect from Lopez down the line, but it's still encouraging, and it probably shows the flashes that Brandon Hyde and the Orioles pitching coaches keep telling us that they see with Jorge Lopez, and he just needs to put it together. This game, he decided to put it together. Absolutely. And it's, uh, again, I think for him, he's kind of fighting uh, the impending roster crunch that we're going to see at some point. He's fighting yes. the the guys that are pitching at the alternate site right now, like a Zach Lowther, who went four strong innings the other day against yep. the Nationals team at the Orioles alternate site. The alternate site is killing if it. You, if you haven't been following those box scores, I'd suggest that you do. Jemai Jones yeah. and Fuego. Yeah, three for three the other day. Homer, double. Every, everything we are hearing about the Orioles' alternate site is that they are just absolutely mashing. And, and yeah, I mean, you would hope that a team like that, that, you know, this, where they have a lot of their top prospects at the alternate site. Yeah. Uh, you'd hope that they're doing that also. But still, it's encouraging. It is encouraging. And it's fun. Yeah, it is. Um, but those guys are coming. Uh, Zach yes. Lowther, Mike Bauman. Um, Alexander Wells, I know that he's been injured and, and Bauman has actually had some injuries as well, but those guys are on the way. 
So he's got to fend those guys off yeah. <laughs> because they're going to be coming back up. And of course, Keegan Aiken, like we've talked about, uh, is going to be coming back up. We thought, honestly, he might be back up at this point. I thought he'd be back up by now, honestly. Yeah, but uh, the minor league season starts on May 4th. So what is that? You know, two weeks away. Yep. So he might be starting the season at AAA Norfolk. And I think if Jorge Lopez didn't have this good start, I think there's a pretty good chance that Keegan Aiken gets the call sooner rather than later because I think Keegan Aiken is probably the guy that you would call up at this point if you are in need of another rotation spot. I think Jorge Lopez, with this start, probably earns himself at least another chance or two in the rotation, yeah. I would assume. Well, and it also depends on what Keegan Aiken is doing at the alternate side. We right. don't really know. Um, right. We haven't really gotten eyes on him yet. So it, it also depends more on his uh, improvement at the alternate site before being able to be thrown back in a, in a major league environment. Right. You, you obviously want to make sure that the mechanical stuff is there because Keegan Aiken is one of the Orioles. He's not one of the top pitching prospects, but he is still, what, 15th in the prospect rankings at yeah, this point? So. They just came out with their new rankings. So Keegan Aiken is still somewhere up there. He is in the category of the Zach Lowther, Mike Bauman that we talk about. So Keegan Aiken, you need to make sure that uh, he has enough time to fix what needs to be fixed before you throw him back into the fire. And then the fifth member of that rotation is Dean Kramer, who was struggling to start the season. And it was frustrating because we are both big fans of Dean Kramer and love his stuff. Yep. We think that he can be a very good pitcher long-term, but he was not showing it. And uh, I think that he has amazing stuff and it's just figuring out how to pitch on a major league level, which yes. pitches to throw when. Um, and it may help when he's thrown to Adley Rochman, who's, you know, <laughs> right. his long-term catcher probably. Right. But... Um, he had his best start of the season as well, and he got optioned down to the alternate side immediately after, which you, you shouldn't read anything into whatsoever because yes. the Orioles had two off days, Monday and then today's an off day, so he was not going to make his regular turn in the rotation. They just sent him down to the alternate site, and I'm sure he understands uh, because they wanted him to throw some bullpens, stay in shape, uh, because they knew he was going to miss his turn in the rotation, come right back up, and he'll be reinserted right back up into that rotation. Well, And not only that, but if you option Dean Kramer to the alternate site, it gives you more flexibility in your bullpen to call a bullpen arm up that you might use in yeah. the time being. There was no point of having Dean Kramer on the roster for these few days because obviously you weren't going to use him as a bullpen arm. Yeah. So there was no point in keeping him on the team. So yes, like Paul said, do not read anything into Dean Kramer being optioned. He will be back up for his next start. We're not sure, sure exactly when that start will be. I'm thinking Saturday, maybe. I don't think Brandon Hyde has announced exactly what his starting rotation is going to be for that athletic series. But Dean Kramer in his last start goes four and two thirds, one earned run, six strikeouts. The stuff is there. We saw flashes of it last year against a really good Yankees lineup. We saw it not do so well against the Red Sox. So it's just a matter of getting more consistency with that stuff for Kramer. And I think that will come as he gets more starts throughout the season. He still does not have a lot of career starts under his belt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you hope that if he did, so we know Jorge Lopez is going to start tomorrow, the first game of that series. We don't know yet Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. The A's are 
awfully hot right now. Yeah. They saw the Rockabaco piece about the streak, and they said, we're going to... We're going to do that again. We're going to do that again for <laughs> yeah. uh, 20 games. Uh, they're up to, I think, 11 straight wins. Yep. So that's going to be concerning when they come to Oriole Park at Camden Yard. So maybe you hope that Dean Kramer doesn't get a start against that team Oof. if he's trying to get his confidence back up. Yeah. Uh, but I expect the, his ERA to continue to go down. You know, not... He, he's He's... Maybe we had perhaps too high expectations for him starting the season, um, considering his experience and age. Yeah. Uh, but the promise is still there. The potential is still there. Because you see the stuff and yeah. you... It's tantalizing, Brendan. Yes, and you say that should be a lower ERA than it is. He has great strikeout stuff, and I think as the season goes along, like you said, he's going to get more starts under his belt, and he's going to figure it out as he goes along. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, some offensive guys that are... Turning things around as well. The yeah. offense, the Orioles' offense overall has been inconsistent, which is exactly what we saw in 2020, and it is exactly what I think we expected this year. Yeah. Considering this is one of the youngest teams in baseball right now, mm-hmm. and you are going to see some stretches where they look dominant, you're going to see some stretches where they cannot hang in the AL East. Yeah. Right now, they are teetering back and forth, and it feels like every game it is either one or the other. They, it's like not even series by series. Right now, it's game to game whether the Orioles' offense shows up. Yeah, and the two best hitters on the team right now are Cedric Mullins and Freddie Galvis. Yeah. And I will give you literally all of my money if you said that that would be the case at the beginning of the season. I'm confident in that because literally nobody said that at the beginning of the season and how quick we were, Paul, to slam the panic button on Freddie Galvis when he was not hitting well at the beginning of the season. I think that we were a little bit more patient with him. We as a collective Orioles fan base uh, was very quick to slam the panic button on Freddie Galvis and cry out for Jose Iglesias. And all Freddie Galvis has done over the last eight games is hit 458 with a 917 slugging percentage and an OPS close to 1.5. He has been great. Which is pretty good. Yeah. Just for funsies, Brandon? Just for funsies. You know what his uh, war is right now, according to baseball reference? Probably pretty good. 0.7. That's good. You know what Jose Iglesias' war is? Not 0.7. Oh, With the LA Angels. That's not to, you know, criticize Jose Iglesias, but look. No, that's just to pat ourselves on the back for saying that's that Jose Iglesias and Freddie Galvis were pretty much roughly the same. Roughly the same player yeah. is what we said. And at this point, and the, for the, the first week of the season, and honestly, through a lot of spring training, a lot of fans were looking at what Jose Iglesias was doing yep. with the Angels and saying, we should have never traded Jose Iglesias. Look, we get a lot of things wrong on this podcast. This is at least through the last eight games of yeah. Freddie Galvis. Uh, this is our very small victory lap. Jose Iglesias is still a slightly better defender than yep. Freddie Galvis, but they are roughly the same player offensively. And Freddie Galvis has more power. Has He's more got power. six extra base hits over his last eight games. On April 13th, he was hitting 143. Yeah. He is now all the way back up to 271, which is the second highest batting average on the team behind Cedric Mullins. And he still grades out pretty well defensively as as well, according yep. to fan graphs. He is plus one in defensive runs saved. I know that people have looked sometimes at his range and, and thought that he has less range than uh, Jose Iglesias or, or less range than you'd like to see from a shortstop. And I get that. He's a little bit smaller. He's not quite as quick twitch. However, his Arm is pretty strong. We saw him make that terrific play with the double play combination between him and Rio Ruiz. Rio Ruiz has to start hitting, by the way. I yeah. mean, uh, Rio Ruiz hitting the defense has 160. Been, the defense has been so good, and he has to start hitting in order to maintain his spot 
at second base. Yeah, and Jemai Jones, from all accounts, has been absolutely raking at the alternate site. He didn't hit very well during spring training, but Jemai Jones, we saw, was a pretty solid defender at second base. He's very athletic, can also play the outfield, and if he is hitting well at the alternate site, I don't know. I think we might be getting close to the time where Rio Ruiz is really going to have to prove that he is a fixture at second base because you've got got guys like Jemai Jones and Ryland Bannon at the alternate site right now that are playing really well. You also have Pat Valenka. And Pat Valenka. <laughs> Pat yeah. Valenka went three for three the other day, I think. Ooh. Or at least had three hits. Yeah. Uh, so maybe Pat Valenka, if, if Rio Ruiz continues to struggle at the plate, it's going to be difficult to keep him at that second base spot. Yeah, they're... And, and Freddie Galvis and Cedric Mullins have been the bright spots of hitters so far, as has Trey Mancini. Uh, there have been a lot of guys who are not hitting very well for the Orioles so far. Yeah. A lot of guys who might not have a solid roster spot for a while if they continue not to hit. All things equal, would you rather see Rio Ruiz or Ramon Rios at second base? Uh, ooh, that's tough. Um, they're the same age. Probably Ramon Arias at this point because he just hasn't had as much opportunity to show that he can play well consistently at a position, and he has that shortstop flexibility, so I think Arias has a better chance to stick as a utility player than Rio Ruiz does. Rio Ruiz has just gotten a ton of opportunity, and he just hasn't shown that he can hit. Yeah. And I think at this point, you would rather give Arias more of an opportunity because he has not had that opportunity like Rio Ruiz has. And there's also Richie Martin, who's waiting at the alternate site, who can play second base. Yeah. Played played mostly, I think almost entirely shortstop in his one big league season, but has minor league experience at second base as well. So yeah. you've got some guys there that you can cycle in and out. It's worth continuing to give Ruiz a shot for at least a little while, but I, if he doesn't turn around at the plate, I think it's going to be uh, pretty soon that we see somebody like Richie Martin or maybe even Jemai Jones. Yeah. Uh, if Jemai Jones sticks at the alternate site over the next couple weeks, I'm thinking he's probably going to start at Norfolk. When they, yep. they break up the alternate site and they have to assign guys to minor league teams, I'm thinking he's probably going to be a Norfolk guy. Probably. Because we saw him at AA the last time when he was in the Angels organization in 2019. Made his major league debut with the Angels in yeah. 2019 as well. So I think he's probably going to be you know, higher than that. So we, I would agree. we are probably going to see Jemai Jones and Richie Martin, I think both at the AAA Norfolk. Probably your sharing, double play combination. Yeah, yeah. Sharing the infield. Yeah. Um, that'll be interesting to see as yeah. well. It's going to be uh, in a couple weeks when they eventually send guys to the different sites. It's going to be interesting to see where some guys land. Yeah. Uh, because also because now they have an extra month, you know, like we were right. talking about Adley Rutschman starting the season at double A. Mm-hmm. Do they feel comfortable enough at this point, month into the season, starting him out at AAA? Do they, do they want him to start at AAA because Chance Cisco is hitting 130? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, Brendan. It's going to be interesting. Uh, you mentioned Trey Mancini yeah. getting back on the horse a little bit. Now, he's still hitting below 200 for the season, still hitting 196, but the OPS is there. Yeah. He is still leading the team in homers, I believe, uh, and... At one point, in, on April 13th, he was hitting 159. So 196 is an improvement. And like we said on the last podcast, none of nobody but Trey Mancini expected Trey Mancini to come back and be Trey Mancini. Yes. So he is, uh, you know, we have to be understanding, and uh, everybody has for the most part. The only one who hasn't is Trey Mancini because he expects a higher... Because he's hard on himself. Yeah, he's incredibly he, hard on himself. He expects to be the best hitter on the team. Yeah. And his average doesn't have to be ridiculously high. It no. will be above the Mendoza line. 
at some point soon. Yes. Uh, but his he, he just needs to hit homers in the middle of that lineup and hit doubles, which he absolutely has done. He is also... Well, a few things with Trey Mancini. He's hitting 261 over his last seven games, and if Trey Mancini hits somewhere around 265 for the season, you'll take that because yeah. he's going to be a power guy and his OPS is going to be pretty solid. He has also gotten incredibly unlucky. Yeah, he's hit a lot of balls hard. Yes, his batting average on balls in play is 205. Yeah. Which is insanely unlucky for context in uh, 2019, his batting average on balls in play was 326. <laughs> so your batting average on balls in play is usually going to be somewhere around 300 for a good hitter like Trey Mancini. The fact that his is closer to 200 tells me that he is hitting a lot of balls in play that are just directly at people. And sooner or later, that's going to even out. Yeah. It's not going to be 200 forever. And that average is going to increase as he gets more lucky with just where balls are going at this point. And, and honestly, you know, like we said, different kind of barometer with Trey Mancini, just to see him, the power being back, like yeah. the strength is there. The yes. strength is absolutely there. He has hit some rocket home runs and he has had some loud outs. So, you know, I think that could be a concern, you know, when a guy comes back from a year off and from yeah. chemotherapy treatments is, is, is his body in okay enough shape to kind of produce the same results. And the consistency is not there, which is not what we expected. But the ability is there. The strength and the bat speed and all that good stuff is still there. So yeah. we don't need to see it consistently yet. But the fact that we are seeing it in bursts shows us that once he gets, you know, X number of at-bats under his belt, he's back to the regular speed of the game, he's caught back up, everything else will fall into place. Yeah, he's got four home runs. Nobody else has more than two at this point. Yeah, exactly. And Trey Mancini was telling us going into the season that he expects to be the same Trey Mancini. I think a little bit of a slow start was absolutely to be expected, yeah. even though he was telling us that he felt the same. He's just getting back into baseball action. Hitters across Major League Baseball at this point have hit very poorly across the league. And I think it's just getting back into game action of a full season, and especially for Trey Mancini, who missed all of 2020. The slow start is, it's not a disappointment for Trey Mancini. Understandable. Nobody, at least us, I, I don't think anybody is disappointed in Trey yeah. Mancini's start. He's disappointed in himself, but he is clearly picking it back up and getting back to where he wants to be. Exactly. All right, uh, one more thing we should touch on before we get out of here, Brendan. Uh, that was some good news on the Orioles minor league side. Uh, more good news with the alternate side, if you yeah. will. And that is the fact that Heston Kerstad, number two overall pick in the 2020 MLB draft by the Baltimore Orioles, has been cleared to return to baseball and is going to the old Orioles alternate site. He was he reported yesterday, I believe, um, and I'm sure we'll see him in some box scores at some point. He's got to get himself back and healthy. Uh, the reason that he was out for the uninformed is he had uh, cardiomyopathy, which is an inflammation of the heart muscle, uh, oftentimes connected as a side effect to COVID-19. We haven't heard from Heston Kerstad uh, directly. We've only heard from Mike Elias talk about Heston Kerstad. So we don't know if he had COVID-19. He hasn't explained everything yet. I'm assuming we will hear from him soon. Yeah. Uh, but considering the fact that he was out for so long and we had not seen him even join the Orioles either at the big league level at the alternate site at spring training yet since he got drafted this is certainly 
very good news. Well, we didn't talk about Heston Kerstad much, and the Orioles didn't talk about it a ton because, like, you're dealing with a heart condition. It's not like you're dealing with an injury that takes a certain amount of time to rehab, like Anthony Santander out two to four weeks with a sprained ankle. You don't know how long Heston Kerstad is going to be out with something like this because there's just really no way to tell what the recovery is going to be and how he can get back into baseball shape and things like that. So the fact that he is back at the alternate site is incredibly encouraging because we hadn't heard too much about Heston Kerstad and what he was going through health-wise. So we're just hoping that he is able to get some workouts in, that he's able to hopefully ramp things up a little bit as he goes on. But obviously, you do not want to push it with something like this. You make sure that you take your time with Heston Kerstad and get him back to where he wants to be health-wise first and foremost. And we didn't want to speculate as well. Right. We were going on very (laughs) little information, um, and we still don't have a whole lot of information. Yeah. So... I'm eager to hear from him and and hear exactly what was going on because we did hear in February before the Orioles reported to Sarasota that he was going to join the uh, team at the uh, at spring training camp and he didn't. We heard that in later in February and in March that he was going to be joining the Orioles at the alternate site and he didn't at least for the first couple weeks of the alternate site's existence. So, um, you know, we are now going on the information that we have, and, and I'm, I'm eager to hear uh, him get back because that changes the... He, he is a, such a big piece in the Orioles' farm system at this point. Anybody who's drafted number two overall is going to be. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, is a, is a large piece of, of the future. Yeah, and we talk about, you know, Ryan McKenna, Yusniel Diaz as the outfielders that are close. Eston Kerstad is a proven college bat that will probably take a similar trajectory to Adley Rutschman, where it's not going to take him a terribly long time to get to the major leagues. It's not like Gunnar Henderson coming out of high school. Heston Kerstad is going to be ready for the major league level within the next few years. And it'll be interesting to see where he starts in the minor league system. I think he probably moves his way up pretty quickly because he's a proven college bat. He's an older kid. And I think he'll make his way through the Orioles system pretty quick. We don't know where he's going to start. And of course, the Orioles have to get eyes on him first. Right. Um, but yeah, we will keep you apprised as we learn more. Yep. Orioles, by the way, holding that number five overall pick in this year's draft. Ooh. Already starting to see some prospect rankings, some mock drafts. Uh, we know the two Vandy pitchers, Jack yeah. Leiter, Kumar Rocker, but there are three in the most recent one I saw, I think by Jim Callis, three high school shortstops yes. being thrown into Jordan Lawler is one. Um, who are the other guys? House. Yeah. Brady House. Brady is House. One, and then uh, Mason something. Something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can tell that we have done our research on this. It Look, was we're something. months away. <laughs> we, will be, we will be prepped. By the time we yeah. get to come to draft time. And the draft is later this year. It's in July yeah. uh, as opposed to June. Uh, interesting. Interesting. I wonder if the Orioles add another shortstop to their somewhat deep mix of, of Yeah, they're shortstops. already prep high school shortstop with Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it never they, hurts to uh, no, add somebody oh, else. middle well. infielders, too. You can always, you know, Michael Elias. Uh, Marcelo dra- Mayer is the other That's right. uh, prep shortstop. Elias likes to draft guys up the middle which is exactly, you know, what you should be doing. Shortstop, yep. center fielders, uh, catchers. So uh, maybe they add, to, and they have Jordan Westberg, they have Taron Vavra. Yeah, those shortstops, you can always move to third base. You can always move them to first if you need to. Yeah. We'll have more updates later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that just about does it for the Mass and All Access podcast. Of course, share, review, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. 
on any platform that you are listening to it. Follow him at Brendan Morty. Follow me at Paul Mancano. Uh, and of course, follow at Mass and Orioles for all your updates as we go along. Thank you so much for tuning in wherever you have been tuning in. Uh, it's been great to be with you. We will be back in about a week. We've been switching up the days that we've been doing these podcasts, but uh, yeah. we'll figure it out. Next Sometime week. next week. Sometime next week. Thanks so much for tuning in.